0: ago last Wednesday began the Passover. And last Sunday was a celebration of the resurrection. And these historical events are uh, an awesome demonstrations of God's love and his provision for his people. And in this message today, I almost hesitated to do this, but I felt that it was so relevant to the time that we are in. I'm going to back up for just a moment and focus Uh, on the Passover deliverance. I want to talk about that today. And then I want to tie it back into the Lord's resurrection. Because I believe that it is very relevant for the time that we're living in today. And I believe that it is much more than just ironic to what we are facing right now during this time. And so our primary text today is going to be Exodus chapter 12. But before we go there, I want to... um, set that passage up in its context, I want to review, uh, briefly review some events surrounding getting up to Exodus chapter 12. So um, if you'll just kind of listen along, I'm going to talk rather quickly through these. But first of all, chapter 1, the book of Exodus opens up with the Hebrew people suffering cruel oppression and Uh, As slaves in Egypt. Then we move to chapter 2 and we see that Moses is born. He grows up in Pharaoh's palace. He feels the call of God upon his life. He attempts to fulfill that call in his own strength, I might add. He kills an Egyptian and he flees to the desert. He spends 40 years in the desert with his wife, Zipporah, and his father in law, Jethro. Then we go to chapter 3. Moses has this burning bush experience in chapter 3 in which God sends him back to Egypt for the deliverance of the Hebrew people. In chapter 4, Moses connects with Aaron and returns to Egypt. In chapter 5, Moses begins his confrontation with Pharaoh. Circumstances get worse for the Hebrew slaves and they blame Moses and Aaron for making their lives harder. Chapter 6 through 10, 9 of the 10 plagues are executed. Uh, And this week, just this week, I saw, you know, with all of what is going on right now with coronavirus uh, or COVID-19, however you refer to it, and then with uh, the terrible storms that we had and the awful storm damage, uh, and then just the sporadic snow that came out of nowhere just almost looked like a blizzard for a few minutes. uh, I saw somebody post on Facebook, will somebody just give me a heads up when the locusts are coming? Uh, because it almost seems like there's these different things happening and and plagues. So chapter 6 through 10, nine of the ten plagues uh, of Egypt were executed. Chapter 11, the last plague is introduced, which is the death of the firstborn uh, of all households. Then chapter 12, which is our text today, is where God instructs His people on how to keep the Passover and be safe during the plague we're going to be looking at that today and in response to this last plague Pharaoh lets the Hebrews go now just to give you some foresight into the future chapter 13 the Hebrews leave Egypt chapter 14 Pharaoh then changes his mind and he pursues the Hebrews and God parts the Red Sea rescuing them from the destruction And Pharaoh tries to chase them down, and God uses the Red Sea to destroy Pharaoh's army. That's chapter 14. And then in chapter 15, Israel celebrates their deliverance. Now, before we get to deliverance, we got to go back to chapter 12, our text, and read the instructions that God gave His people on how to be safe during the plague. So Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to be reading 13 verses out of the New International Version. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month and the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, each one for his household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs, and bread without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire, with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it." This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Uh, Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12. On the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods. Of Egypt. Notice that. I am the Lord. Verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning a message I have simply titled Deliverance. We're going to talk about God's instructions for. Deliverance. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you we praise you for the privilege and the opportunity to worship you today in spirit and in truth God I I miss the faces that fill this sanctuary in two different services every Sunday but I thank you that today I know on the other side of the lens of this camera they are watching and they are worshiping and Father I know that you have a word for them today so God I pray that you would decrease me move me out of the way let your spirit be increased within me that I won't speak Lord, with enticing words of men's wisdom, but that your word will come forth today in the power and in the demonstration of your spirit. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in and through your word today in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. Thank you, Nicholas. I want us to process these events that I've talked about this morning. By pondering four questions. If you're taking notes today, I want you to jot these four questions down because I want you to review them uh, this week in light of this passage of Scripture. The first question I want us to uh, look at today or ponder is who initiated this entire series of events? Who initiated this entire series of events? Was it the devil? Was it Pharaoh and the Egyptians? Was it Moses uh, or or? the Hebrew slaves, who initiated these events? I know a lot of people are asking today. You know, there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theory going on out there about how this virus originated. And so people are asking the question, who initiated this series of events? But keeping it real in the Word of God today, a study of God's message to Moses at the burning bush leaves no uncertainty about the answer to that question. You see, God was the master strategist behind it all. Moses did not initiate this. At the burning bush, he initially resisted the idea. The Hebrew people didn't understand what God was doing. They opposed Moses when Pharaoh made them gather their own straw in response to Moses' first confrontation with him. All the Hebrews could see was the immediate difficulty. Does that sound familiar? All that the Hebrews could see was the immediate difficulty difficulty that they were experiencing. Uh, The devil was active in his influence on Pharaoh. The order to kill the male Hebrew infants was demonic. The order to kill infants is demonic. The Egyptian pursuit of the Hebrews at the Red Sea, you can rest assured that was satanically inspired. But while evil activity was definitely present, I want you to know it was only secondary. Evil activity was definitely present, but it was only secondary. It is clearly not the focus of this biblical story. The focus was on God's plan and God's purposes. The focus was God's deliverance, if you will, of His people. That was the focus. And in any crisis Our first point of focus must be on God and asking the question, God, what are you doing? Because when we ask that question, that will better position us to cooperate with Him. Now I want us to read God's explanation as to why all of these events occurred. The Lord said uh, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down... So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You see, the first three plagues that occurred impacted the Hebrews just as well as it did the Egyptians. God was shaking them loose from the status quo so that they could move into a better future. But that was an uncomfortable experience for them. For them, Can I tell you that today, I believe, we talked about this a little bit this past Wednesday night, I believe that God is shaking His church from the status quo to better position us to move into the future. What does the Bible say about the coming of the Lord? He's not coming back until the gospel has reached the four corners of the earth. Can I tell you that during COVID-19, There has been more gospel preached over the internet than in any time in history. God is shaking the church and moving us out of our comfort zones. We thought that we needed beautiful buildings, and we thought that we had to have all of the lights and the sounds and the media of production, and we thought that we had to have everything just so, just so that we could worship the Lord inside the four walls of our beautiful buildings. But God is saying, no, I'm going to shake you up. I'm going to stir you up. And I'm going to position you so that I can better move you and catapult you into the future so that you can share the gospel and stop focusing on buildings and stop focusing on productions and stop focusing on all of the other things that exalt you and don't lift me me up. I'm preparing you to send the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. These first three plagues impacted the Hebrews because God was shaking them up like he's shaking up the church. But that was an uncomfortable experience for them. Has anybody else been uncomfortable lately? And even though Moses told them what God was doing, they were focused on how it was impacting them at the moment. Let's look at Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9. Moses reported this, God's purposes. I love how it says that. Moses reported this, and that this was God's purposes to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. God's primary purpose was for the deliverance of his people. But there was also something that he had in mind for the Egyptians as well. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 5, God said to Moses, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Can I tell you that Egypt was a type and a shadow of the world? The Egyptians were idol worshipers who did not know God. But all that God did during these plagues left them without excuse. And during this time... God demonstrated His superiority over their false gods. It was an opportunity for them to turn from their idols and submit themselves to the Lord. Boy, I began to think about that. And I know that the Word tells us we serve a... Jealous God One of the Ten Commandments says Thou shalt have no other gods Before me I believe in this time that we're living in That God says Now listen, I want you to hear your pastor today Or hear the preacher if I'm not your pastor But it, there's nothing wrong with sports There's nothing wrong with clean secular music I lost all the holiness people right there But I'm a music lover I don't believe there's anything wrong with good clean secular secular music. There is a difference if it's not good and clean. But there's nothing wrong with those types of things that you might enjoy. But I believe that we're living in a time where God has said, okay, you're going to worship the sports in big arenas over top of me, and I'll just shut the arenas down, and there'll be no more sports for you to spectate over. You're going to worship in concerts, and you're going to attend all of these things ahead of me, but you refuse to worship me I'll shut down the concerts I'll shut down the entertainment industry you're going to worship being able to go out and enjoy a beautiful day on Sunday rather than to worship me I'll shut the restaurants down I'll shut the shopping malls down I'll shut the campgrounds down I'll shut the state parks down why because God is saying it's time that we move all of the idols to the side and we place our focus upon him And we put him back in his rightful place because his word said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, not the world's wicked ways, our wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's what God was saying. And the Egyptians, during this time, they were idol worshipers who did not know God. But all God did during these plagues left them without excuse. Can I tell you right now, if you're not worshiping the Lord, you're left without excuse. Everything else has been stripped away. During this time, God was demonstrating His superiority over the false gods. It was an opportunity for them to turn from those idols and submit themselves to the Lord. And some of them at least recognized the validity of Moses' warning. And when Moses pronounced the plague of the hail in Exodus chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, it says, Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. So, some Egyptians were responding differently than others. We are also told that there were other nationalities who joined themselves with the Hebrews when they left Egypt. Exodus chapter 12, verses 37 and 38 says this. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to uh, Sukkot. They were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. The King James Version of that Scripture says, And a mixed multitude went up also with them. What, was, what God was doing during this time affected everyone, because God is sovereign. He initiated these events to fulfill His purposes. And on the surface... Some of it might have appeared to be negative to the natural mind. And a lot of this appears to be negative to the natural mind. But God's purpose for doing it was beneficial to his people. Now, if you're writing down the questions, question number two. How did God's people benefit from all of this? Most obviously, they were delivered from slavery. They were spared the destruction of the last plague. But beyond that, they were brought out of their bondage. Uh, I want to ask you today, are you a slave to any habit or any addiction? I think we live in a time that even church folk are addicted. Let me say that again. I think we live in a time that even some church folk are addicted. Is there a bondage in your life? That needs to be broken. See the promise to God's people in Romans 6 and 14. Was that sin would no longer have dominion over you. That's what the scripture said. It would no longer be your master. And that is the spiritual application of Israel's deliverance out of their slavery. Was that sin would no longer have dominion. But see the benefits did not end there. God brought them out to bring them in. I preached a message Uh, about that one time. He brought them out of slavery so that he could bring them in to the promised land. See, it's never God's intention that his people remain in bondage while in the promised land. He wants us free so that we can enjoy the fullness of his promises. There was an abundance of provision in the promised land that God was leading them into. It was a land that was flowing with milk and honey, the Bible said. That is what God has in mind for you and me. Freedom and blessing. Everything God was doing was to that end. Freedom and blessing. And when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, they spoiled the Egyptians, but not through violence, but through favor that God gave them with the Egyptians. Not through violence. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Or lips or whatever the little song says. Be careful what you say. Don't cut down people with your words. This is a time that, sure, we're not all going to agree on everything politically. But be careful, little mouth, what you say. Sweet and bitter water can't flow from the same fountain. You've got to sanctify your mouth. Don't fight the battles in violence. Let God fight the battles for us. Do we not trust God that he's more than able to fight the battle? So they they simply, they did not do it through violence, but through the favor God had given them. They simply asked for resources from the Egyptians, and the Egyptians gave it to them. Imagine that. Never underestimate the power of favor. Let me say that again. Don't ever underestimate the power of God's favor. Because I want to tell you, God has given me favor in some very unexpected places. That favor opened doors that I could never have opened myself, but it also closed doors that I could have never shut. He often directs our steps by giving us the favor when we need it. I want you to ask God to do that for you. But when He does it, thank him because he did it amen through favor given by god the hebrews went out full there was a lot of shaking that preceded that but the church went out full god was leading them into his promises question number 3 what was the key factor that distinguished the hebrews from the egyptians on this faith, faithful Uh, Passover night? What was the key factor that distinguished the Hebrews from the Egyptians on this fateful Passover night? In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, God tells his people what it is. He says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. You see, The blood of the Paschal Lamb was a type of the blood that Jesus shed for our redemption on the cross. The blood of the Paschal Lamb was a type of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for our redemption. The protection was not there just because they were Hebrews. It was there because they were Hebrews who had applied the blood. You see, there was a privilege in being a Hebrew because they heard God's instruction on what they were to do. But what if they had not applied the blood to the doorpost as they were instructed? I want to tell you what would have happened. They would have suffered the same fate as the Egyptians. They were to slay a lamb in obedience to To God's instruction. Exodus 12 and 22 gives instruction on how the blood was to be applied. In that verse, God told them to take a bunch of hyssop, to dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. Now, hyssop was a shrub-like plant that was used to apply the blood to the doorpost. It was a lowly plant with a hairy surface, if you will, that held liquid well. And the act of applying the blood to the doorpost was simply obedient faith. If you were in the adult Sunday school class this morning, Sister Karen talked about Faith. The act of applying the blood over the doorpost was obedient faith. The blood was their only source of protection and salvation. But faith in that blood had to be exercised. Did you hear me? They had to apply the blood to their individual homes. All of that is a type of salvation. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. I didn't give them this verse, but John 1 and 29 tells us that Jesus is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. His blood alone can save us from judgment and provide complete salvation. And we apply that blood by placing our trust in what He did for us on the cross of Calvary and entrusting His sacrifice to save us from that judgment. What does Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 tell? tells us. It instructs us on how to place our faith in Jesus Christ. If you, that's speaking to you today, declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, that is the New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament instruction to put the blood on the doorpost. I want to ask you who are watching today, or maybe later today, or later this week, have you done that? Have you applied the blood of Jesus to the doorpost of your heart? Have you placed your faith in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for your salvation? See, that act of faith is what makes all difference. See, as believers, no matter what the threat may be, our confidence rests upon the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf on the cross at Calvary. It's not in my own goodness that I'm trusting. My goodness. If it was based on my goodness, I'd probably be lost some days. Did you hear me? But it's not based on my goodness that I'm trusting. It's the power of His blood to cleanse me from sin. It's His goodness as my high priest that I'm ultimately trusting in. See, we don't have a high priest that has not been touched by the feelings of our infirmities. But we have a God that was in all points tempted just like we are, yet without sin. And He is merciful and He is just to hear you when you pray and forgive you. What does 1 John 1 and 9 say? Little children, I command you that you sin not but if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. See, our song in heaven will be Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. I didn't give them that one either. But where he said, you, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. I'm glad that He's a good, good God, no matter who we are or where we came from. Amen. And the fourth question I want us to look at today, what does leaven, this is interesting, I think, what does leaven, or yeast is what it's talking about, represent in this Exodus story? In order to explain that, let's read verses 14 through 20 of Exodus chapter 12. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. That's pretty cut and dry. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. Do not work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat the bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. That's the second time it said that. And anyone, whether foreign or, or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be, here it is again, cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. That's number three. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. What is all this emphasis on the leaven? See, in Scripture, when you study Scripture, leaven is a type of sin. One passage of Scripture says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Redemption is through the blood, but we are to live in that redemption without sin. Let me say that again. Boy, that busts a lot of bubbles today. We are to live in that redemption, as best we can, without sin. Applying this passage to New Testament living, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Listen to what Paul said. He said, Get rid of the old yeast, that's leaven he's talking about, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Can I tell you today that there are a lot of Christians who want, and I believe that Amanda Radford talked about this a little bit in a post that she had on Facebook. There are a lot of Christians who want to claim the protection of the blood, but they don't want to get rid of the sin in their lives. I want to say that again because it's tweetable. There are a lot of Christians who want to claim the protection of the blood, but they don't want to get rid of the sin in their lives. I want to tell you today, that's not okay. I said, that's not okay. Exodus 12 and 19 again said, And anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off, From the community of Israel. Listen. Church of the living God. Listen to me. You cannot. An elder that I grew up a little bit under used to say it this way. If any way will do. No way will do. You cannot claim the protection of the blood of Jesus. And claim the redemption through the blood of Jesus. For your sin in your life, yet live on continually in repetitive sin and rebellion against the very God who shed His blood that you're claiming over your sin. Did you hear me? You cannot willfully continue on. Boy, I know that's not popular today. I might lose about 10% of the live stream right there. But you cannot. We're living in a day and a time where people want to claim the protection of the blood, claim the power of the blood, worship about the blood, attend church and lift hands when we preach about the blood, but don't talk about their sin. I know nobody's going to help me out there in the Internet world today. Don't talk about their sin and tell them that it's a sin to live together out of wedlock. Hello. Don't tell them that it's a sin to commit abortion. Don't tell them that adultery is a sin. Fornication is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. Lesbianism is a sin. Don't tell them that thievery is a sin. Cheating their way to the top is a sin. Don't preach against the sin. The church won't be full. I believe that's one of the main reasons that God has emptied out the sanctuary All across America today, so that he could get the attention of the preachers of the gospel to look straight into the eyes of the enemy and preach against sin. You've got to have the blood of Jesus applied in your life. Hallelujah. Exodus 12, I've already read 12 and 19. 1 Corinthians 5 9 through 13. Paul makes this application. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you, yeah, you'd have to leave the world because you can't get away from them. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but a sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, A drunkard or swindler, don't even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Here's what he's talking about: we're not supposed to be judging outside the church, but are you not to judge those inside? That's what Paul said. Another passage of Scripture said, "If judgment must begin at the house of the Lord, and if judgment begins at the house of the Lord, where shall the sinner and the ungodly be?" God will judge those outside, but we should expel wickedness from amongst us. He went on in verse 12, verse 13 to say, God will judge those outside, but expel the wicked person from among you. What are you saying, pastor? Here's what I'm saying. Will we love those people? Absolutely. Will we accept those people when these doors open up and they walk back into this church house? Absolutely, we will. But I pray to God that in pulpits all over this nation, preachers will take the word of God which is uh, unadulterated which is infallible which is uncompromisable which is not debatable and they will preach the unadulterated word of God without remorse without regret and without sorrow because the time has come that we need to be a voice crying out like John the Baptist in the wilderness repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand because I am going to tell you something today if you're watching this feed and you think that what's going on right now is bad I want to tell you honey you don't want to be left in this world after the rapture of the church has taken place if you think this is bad in the words of the psalm you ain't seen nothing yet it's going to be a lot worse than it is right now so if I were you I'd repent and say God forgive me for living a double-minded life I believe some of the church needs to repent and say, God, forgive me. My priorities have been out of order. I didn't attend the house of God when I had the opportunity. I didn't pay my tithes when I had the opportunity. I didn't serve for the kingdom when I had the opportunity. God, forgive me. I repent. Hallelujah. So there's four fundamental principles that we draw from this Exodus story, and I'm about done today. Number one is that is God is sovereign. He initiated these events for the good of His people. Don't forget that. God initiated these events for the good of His people. Number two, He's always working on our behalf for our benefit. Working all things together. Even things we don't fully understand for our good. Even when we don't see Him. He's working. Even when you don't feel Him, He's working. The song says He never stops. He never stops working. Number three, the the blood of Christ distinguishes us from the world. What did the Scripture say? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And number four, we're to keep the Passover without leaven. What's that mean, Pastor? That means by the grace of God, we are to put sin out of our lives and serve the Lord with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The great redemption of Israel out of Egyptian bondage through the blood of the Paschal Lamb was only a type of the redemption that is ours through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The resurrection of Jesus was God's validation of His sacrifice at Calvary. Did you hear me? The resurrection of Jesus was God's validation of his sacrifice at Calvary. Romans 1 and 4. Paul offered his testimony concerning Jesus. He said, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. If Jesus had died on the cross but was never resurrected, we would rightly Rightfully so, questioned the validity of his sacrifice. But it was the resurrection that demonstrated the Father's acceptance of that sacrifice. And then in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter pointed to the resurrection as proof that Jesus is the Messiah, the only way of salvation. Last scripture for today, Acts 2 22 through 24. He said, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. Wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Even in the atrocity of the cross, God remained sovereign. He was working His plan. And you, with the help of wicked men, put Him to death by nailing Him to the cross. Watch this, verse 24. But... God raised Him from the dead, freeing Him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Him. As they come to the music this afternoon, I felt the need to go back and look again at the Passover and connect it to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I think that we ought to preach on the resurrection more than just one time a year. Paul said, oh that I may know him. Not just in the power of his resurrection. He acknowledged the fact that the resurrection was powerful. But also in the fellowship of his sufferings. See, Paul also made Christ's resurrection central to his message and his preaching. After confronting the pagan idolatry in Acts chapter 17, Paul said, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. I want to tell you something. I don't know why some preachers are relegating repentance to the Old Testament. Because you hear me and you hear me well. It is a dominant theme through the New Testament as well. Repent. John the Baptist said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I stand before you today not just speaking to sinners or lost people in this world. I'm speaking to the church of the living God today. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 31, he said in Acts chapter 17, I didn't give them this scripture. He said, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. See, we can have assurance today that our sins are forgiven because God raised Jesus from the dead. Because the blood has been applied to the doorpost of our heart. We can have assurance that His sacrifice on the cross was accepted by the Father because God raised Him from the dead. We can have assurance today of a home in heaven because God raised Him from the dead and seated Him down at His right hand. See, our eternal hope rests on His death and His resurrection. And our resurrection is guaranteed by His resurrection. And listen to me. The sum total of my message... And ultimately, our deliverance from everything we will face in this life is guaranteed by His resurrection. Did you hear me? Our deliverance is guaranteed by His resurrection. God is simply, once again, I believe, setting the stage for the deliverance of His people. So those of you that are ready, live in that assurance. But those of you that are not, prepare today. Get ready today. Apply the blood of Jesus to your heart and your life today. So if you're out there and you're lost, I want to challenge you in just a moment when they sing and we take some time to pray. I want to share with you just how simple the plan of salvation is. But now, for the rest of the church world, don't go anywhere. I'm not done talking to you yet. But give me just a moment to talk to the one that may be lost. I want to challenge you to do three things that are as simple as the ABCs. When we get ready to pray, you pray and just admit to God. A, admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. B, Believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that He lived on this earth and gave His life on the cross at Calvary for the forgiveness of your sins, that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day. B, believe that. And then C, confess Him as the Lord of your life right there in your living room, in your bedroom, in the break room at work, wherever you may be. Salvation can come right where you are but I also want to say it's time for the church to repent and prepare ourselves for the deliverance that's coming to the people of God and I believe it's coming but it's only coming to those that have heeded the warning who have followed the instructions that were given, that's why I went to chapter 12 it was full of instructions who have followed the instructions that were given who are removing the sin and applying the blood, who are ready without reservation to do the work of our deliverer once our deliverance has come. Church, as they sing, I want to invite you, gather your family, get on your knees.